Okay, good evening, everyone. I have a celebrity sighting, Yoni, of the great Mysterious Nefesh, took himself off the couch and made it here in person. Extra exciting to have Yoni here. Um, so tonight's class was titled The Creation of the Universe, and we're probably going to title it Cosmic C Confusion, because the more outlandish the title, the better chance you have of people seeing it. So I'm not going to discuss the science, because I'm not a scientist. Um, I just want to go through some certain basic facts. The his going back into just the history of science, the Greek philosophers in ancient times, philosophy and science were kind of like mixed together. They believed in something what the Rishonim call Olam Kadmon, the, the eternal universe. And the reason is very simple. The Rambam writes in Maranavukum, the Guide to the Perplexed, the world must be either eternal or made new. It has to be one of those two things. And if the world is new, then by definition, there is someone who made it. If it is made new, there is certainly one who made it new. In other words, we have to ask, if there is something new, if there was a Big Bang, then who banged the Big Bang? 1965, science begrudgingly agreed that indeed there was a Big Bang. Now, scientists wanted to avoid that. They weren't happy with the Big Bang because a beginning smacks of divine intervention. So they have, we talked about this a little bit earlier when we talked about Hashem being first, that they have a whole almost, you know, Talmudic reasoning. Well, you can't ask what came before because time was also brought into existence during the Big Bang. So you can't ask what came before. But although sophisticated, it still doesn't get out of the problem because you still have to explain where did it come from. You might not be able to ask the question, when was it? But you can still ask the question, where did everything come from? What? Including, including right, including time. So, now that we know that the world exists, everyone agrees to everyone agrees to that. The question is how old. So, according to the source of all truth, which is of course Wikipedia, tells us that the age of the universe is 13.7 billion years, give or take a billion. Better be off a little bit. Don't be so perfectionist. If you're off by a billion years, don't 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 don't, don't get so bent out of shape. Now, the yeah yeah the the Gemara says on the other hand, the Gemara in Sanhedrin says that the world will last for six six thousand years. So you got thirteen point seven billion years and six thousand. Just a little bit of a discrepancy. So okay, amazing. Thank you so much. So. As you can tell, this concept is gigantically complicated. Gigantically complicated. Rashi tells us in the Gemara Mpsachim, when the Rashi is coming to define the secrets of the Torah, Rashi says the secrets of the Torah are Maisa Merkava, the heavenly chariot, who Maisa Beratius, and the works of creation. So we're talking about a gigantic mystery. So it makes sense that we're talking about things which are so complicated. Rav Yisrael Belsky, the late Rosh Hashiva of, of Tarvadas, explained what, what uh, Dr. Rosenberg mentioned, that when we talk about a yom, a day, we usually talk about the rotation of the earth on its axis. But in the first few days, you don't have that planetary body to spin. So what does the concept of day mean? 
So it becomes very, very mysterious. But one night, when I was a yeshiva bacher, back in there, Yisrael, and it was night seder, and I, like all good yeshiva bacher, were just fooling around. Not really fooling around, but looking at through random sparm. And looking, and something drew me to look at a chuvas harashba, the responsa of the rashba. I have no idea why, what I, why I was drawn to it, but I was drawn to it. The, the Rashba is a, about a nine-volume set, f- huge, huge, huge set with thousands of questions. And the question that I opened up to is in the first volume, the ninth, the ninth question, has to do with the age of the universe from a 13th century perspective. But there they were dealing with a much bigger problem. There they were dealing with a problem that the science of the time said, not that the world was 13.7 billion years old, was that the world, they had proofs that the world was infinitely old. That's a much worse problem than saying the difference between 13.7 and 5784 is nothing compared to the difference between infinity and 5784. Uh, Right? I think it's worse the other way. Why? The other way, you have this exact, you have an exact amount and exact thing but you're at least closer there at least is a beginning yeah if there is a beginning then you then you know that there's a hashem who created it the only question is is how long ago did hashem create it but there if you have an eternally long universe then the question is then they can say you have no proof that hashem gave it so and the rashba's answer is fascinating the rashba says if you look at the scientific data again this is going back to the 1200s this is going back 700 years ago if you would look at the data as we have it, he says, you are right. Science is correct, and the world has no beginning. You're 100% correct. However, this is a point that I've learned from Rabbi Gatlib and Ersameach. When we talk about scientific observation, we really have to realize that the term science has a lot of different levels of credibility. You have something which could, which we could classify as repeatable, observable phenomena. Things which happen again and again and again. You can check when does water freeze and things like that. You have another kind which is called extrapolation, which is I see there's a red shift. I see that there's some kind of energy existing back in the cosmos. And if I project from there and I keep on going back and back and back and back and back and back and back, so I'm going beyond what I can see with my eyes. I don't see the water turn into ice now, but I'm projecting based on the current reality what is going to happen or what did happen, things that I can't observe in this second. And then there's deep theory where you're dealing with wholesale speculation possibly right, possibly have evidence for. And we call them all science, although there's different levels of credibility. So obviously, if it's repeatable and observable, it's not too complicated. But if you try doing extrapolation, you can make a lot of big mistakes. Let's give a simple example. How long does it take for a sugar cube to melt in water? Well, you'd say it depends on the temperature of the water. Let's imagine... I'm just giving random numbers. Let's imagine... The water is 100 degrees, 100 degrees, and it, you test it out, and the sugar cube melts in 20 seconds. I'm making up the numbers. Okay, what if you would make it 50 degrees? 
the water is much cooler. Well, if it's cooler, it's going to take much longer for the sugar cube to melt. So let's say if you have the temperature, and you'll double the amount of time. So now instead of it melting in 20 seconds, now it's going to melt in 40 seconds. Great. Now let's half it again. Let's take your water, cool it down to 25 degrees, have the temperature again. So instead of melting in 40 seconds, okay, maybe it'll melt in 80 seconds. Except there's a big problem. That's right. At this point, the water is frozen. The water is frozen. If it's 25 degrees, the water is frozen. So the question is how long it's going to take if I use my extrapolation model. It'll take 80 seconds. But if I think about the reality of the water freezing, right, it'll never melt. The Rashba explains when we are dealing with investigation of facts in the world, we have to distinguish between things that we can project, things we can see with our eyes in front of us. A lot of things are what are called discoveries are projections and are estimations. People who might be older than me have experienced this lots of times in their life. It used to be that margarine was going to save the world. Instead of having butter, which is animal fats, you would have plant-based margarine until they discovered trans fats. And then they discovered margarine is terrible until you had to find a trans fat free spread. What about how often do people take out their tonsils, right? Of course, taking out your tonsils, right. It used to be they would take out your tonsils all the time. And also their adenoids in the back of your mouth and the back of your throat. Once you're taking your tonsils out, let's just take out your adenoids because they don't really do anything either. They don't do that. Antibiotics are going to save the world. And now antibiotics are used as a last resort because it can take away healthy bacteria. And now there's even something called probiotics. Right. Antibiotics and now probiotics. Right? Vestigial organs. The word vestige means something that's remaining. It doesn't really have uh, use. But the appendix, we don't, we're not 100% sure, but it might serve as a reservoir for beneficial stomach bacteria. The point, the point is not to be anti-science at all. The time that any time discovers something which is a quote-unquote a discovery that seems contrary to the tire, we have to guess. Is there a lot of extrapolation going on? When we think about the weather, using tremendous uh, multi-million dollar weather balloons and data projections and millions and millions of computer models going again and again and again and again for what's most likely, for going one day ahead and for sure two days ahead, makes mistakes all the time. So for Rafishal Schachter said, so for two days, you make lots of mistakes, right? Right? As every aviator is an amateur right. meteorologist, any weather report more than 72, any forecast 72 hours out, nothing doing is not worth right. the, what's printed on. Right. It's just not. It just, so so go, going, going so far ahead is, is, just, is just a joke. But when we go back, not 72 hours, not going back 72 hours, but going back years, hundreds of years, thousands of years, millions of years, billions of years, everyone is extremely confident to the point that it challenges the, that challenges the terror. We have to relax a little bit and be a little more humble and, 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 and realizing the, you know, the limitations of our assessments. But the Rashba said, according to calcul the, your calculations, you are right. 
And the Rashba says, and even though you're right, I'm still not going to buckle under. I'm not going to buckle under at all. Why not? Because the Rashba says, I have an unbroken tradition going back to the prophets, to the Nevi'im, who spoke to Hashem himself. And my unbroken tradition going back to Hashem himself is worth more than your currently accepted theory. Chazal say that the Jewish people are compared to a dove. Why? Just like a dove, once it recognizes its mate, it doesn't leave its mate. So to the Jewish people, where we, we stay loyal, despite the fact that we don't have the answer. So we were in the primitive camp, unscientific. And eventually, they, we had to wait 700 years, but eventually, science came along to say, the world does have a beginning. Anyone have an example of a why question that people ask that they just don't have an answer for? Why? Anyone have any examples of that? Why does this happen? Anyone have any... any, Why does water expand between zero and minus four degrees? If it didn't do that, life could do this. It's the only substance known to the universe that expands as it gets colder for four degrees. Then it starts to contract again. Fascinating. If it wasn't for that phenomenon, the waters would freeze... Right, it would freeze and then would sink. It would, it would just right. keep freezing. But now the ice pr- protects the lower water from wow. freezing. And Incredible. Life can exist. It also breaks up rocks that's inside of because of the expansion. I'm sorry? It breaks up rocks. Wow. Because the ice expands when oh, yeah. So pe- people ask, people wonder, why do, why do things happen? I recently had uh, a leak in my gutter and the whole back and forth to try and get it fixed. There was a hashkacha in why there was a leak in the gutter and there was some damage to, to my roof, but not enough in coordinating between... Like, it happened for a reason. As a, as a Jew, I believe everything happens for a reason. Why is that? I'm not going to know. In a million years, I'm not going to know. Throughout life, we have... When everything happens... Things happen in our personal life. Things happen in our professional lives. Things happen, health, sickness, family. We don't know. But being a Jew means to be loyal in the unknown. Science never validated the Rashba. Science never validated him in his I, I, lifetime. I want to correct that. If you yes. Don't mind me putting my yeah. two cents in. Yeah. And that's this that the equation of general relativity are cyclical. Right. Now, uh, agree that there was nothing before the Big Bang because Hashem created it. Right. But we don't know how many cycles that Big Bang went through because it expanded and it's going to collapse. The universe is going to collapse again. If, if you use my, my, my equations rather right. than the science, because they really don't know, but they, they think the universe is going to expand forever. But there's a reason for that with the dark energy. But right. the Torah tells you that it's not true. And so let me leave it at this point that yeah. we don't know how many cycles before this universe there were. The Gemara does say not to ask me what was before right. the Big Bang. Exactly. And uh, the equations of general relativity are cyclical. There's no question about it. The only question they're stuck on is black holes. And now they're beginning to realize it, like what the Torah says, that really we had to get out of a black hole to have the Big Bang to start with. Fascinating. There's a beautiful idea that I heard in the name of Rav Shemshin Hirsch. If you take the word Y in Hebrew is Lama, now, if you just change the vowelization, 
it changes from lama, why, to le ma, to what. When a person's in a situation that's difficult and we want to ask, why is this happening? What is the purpose of this happening? That's a question which is usually not very productive. Usually we're not going to be able to get an answer. However, we can say lemma, to what? In what direction am I going to take my life as a result of this happening? Now, you know, Man's Search for, Man's Search for Meaning is a classic, classic book um, that's one of the survivors of the Holocaust wrote the book and he talked about people who were able to find meaning in their experiences, right? That they had the energy to be able to push on. That was what? Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl, yeah. So, so, but the people who found meaning in their suffering didn't mean that they knew for sure why it was happening, but they decided to take that difficult situation. They were able to use it as a catapult to grow, right? What's, what, you know, let's think about what's happening in Eretz Yisrael, right? The war in, in Israel and the hostages returning. I have to tell you something wild. I was teaching Parsha today, and I thought about it. This week's Parsha, we have Jewish girl is kidnapped, Parsha by Yishlach, and then Jewish men come in, and they destroy the guilty parties. Right? Hashem should be a segula. Right? Should be a segula that 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 Klaiso should be able to come into the captors area and destroy all of the Rishaim. That is fascinating. And rescue. Yes, of course. Of course. Uh, thank first you. rescue. Yes, first rescue. Exactly. First rescue them. Then Right, exactly. They started first. Right. They started first. They were right. then. So how do how can we use this how can we use this situation for the good? So one of my one of my wife's teachers said that we have to show our Messiris Nefesh for everything that's good. They show their craziness to do things which are bad. Let's show our Messiris Nefesh, our effort to put in to do things that are good. They're trying to create darkness. Let's put in our extra effort to create light. So the effort that we put in are th again, does this teacher know? why things are happening. I don't know. But I know that this week, I think it was just last night, there was a Kirov event. There's a big, uh, longer story about why it's a controversy, but different schools of thought in terms of Jewish outreach. And they were kind of not on great footing. But they had, uh, just in terms of their relationship with each other, but they had an event where all of those yeshivas came together and they had one big learning session together celebrating what they had in common and not the things that divided them. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. That's a lima. That's a taking a situation. I don't know why it's happening and use it to go forward. Now, we don't, we're not going to know why things happen, but anyone know, as a, just to, to finish off, anyone familiar with the three mitzvahs in the entire Sefer Bereshis? There, in the whole Sefer, the whole Genesis, there are three mitzvahs that appear. Anyone know any of them? Well, what pruvu is one of them. Beautiful pruvu. So having children is one. Um, I have a another one. Hypothesis. I'm not sure if it's correct. I just want to get to this. I just want to get to the number of mitzvahs. Seven mitzvahs for Noah, maybe. Okay. Okay. So interesting. Let's focus on the six thirteen. Great. So this week's parsha, Gidanasha, not to eat from the sciatic nerve of of an animal. And there's one more. One more. 
Parsha Slachvacha. What? Bris, bris. Good. Brismila. Yeah, yeah, Brismila. Yes. Right. Brismila. So what's the meaning of bris? What's the meaning of the meaning of Gid Hanasha? It seems to be a very strange kind of mitzvah. Doesn't? Yes. Somebody hurt there. Right. There was a battle. He happened to have gotten hurt in his upper thigh. So then now we're totally forbidden from eating. Right. Right. What? What is the? What's the meaning of it? What's the significance of it? Okay. Interesting question. So hachnas archem is a mitzvah, but it's not. It's described. It's not commanded in the Torah. Right. Exactly. Is it a? Is it a? One of the six thirteen. I don't think so. I think that it falls under the umbrella category of chesed, but I don't know if there's a unique mitzvah for for that. So it would be kind of like pidyon shvuyim, right? Redeeming, redeeming captives, right? Redeeming captives is 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 would fit under a broad umbrella category of you know, loving your fellow like like, like himself. But we also see Kavros Mace and right and Hespid and other things like yeah. that. So, right, but they're, they're not commanded. They're, they're, they're described at least one example of them described. Right. Not described but not prescribed, but not proscribed. Yeah, proscribed, yeah. something like that. <laughs> um, so the Sefer Achanah says something incredible when he talks about the meaning of that mitzvah of Giranasha. He says we think about this. Battle between Yaakov and the angelic f- figure of Esav. Okay, it's some kind of battle that's going on, and then you move on. You know, Yaakov, you know, he emerges, he gets this name Yisrael, and that's it. That's a limp, though. Right, and he emerges with a limp. And the limp is very significant, also. The Sefer Echinet says, he doesn't quote these words, but we know, the actions of the parents are symbolic for the children which means that what happens to the others are symbolic and are representative of what's going to happen in the future of the Jewish people. The fight of Yaakov Avinu with the angel of Esav represents the battle of the nations of the world against the Jewish people. And very often we can feel, gosh, look at all the anti-Semitism and university campuses and the all of the gloom and doom surrounding you know what's going on now people feel very negative but the Sefer Echinach tells us that the same way Yaakov Avinu fought against the angel he emerged limping but he won he won at the end the same thing applies throughout Jewish history and the nations of the world may try to attack us, they may try to get us, and, and they may even cause a big wound, like we saw on that difficult day of Simchus Torah. But the, when the Jewish people understand, even though they will tolerate, they will have such a difficult time with so much tsaris, begalus and the galus miyad ha'amim with the hands of the nations, you betuchim, they will be secure, they will trust, shalo yevedu, they will not be lost, chas v'shalom, zaram ushmam, the Jewish people will last forever, v'yavay lahem gayel, Mashiach is going to come, and he will redeem us from the hands of the difficulty. We don't, every time that a, a, a butcher 
is cutting, cutting across the animal, and he stays away from that. Don't take that away. Don't just eat that. Don't forget about that symbol of the Jewish people, that loyal warrior who might be limping, but he stands erect, he stands strong, because he knows that at the end of the day, people may be coming from this side, people might be coming from that side. I don't know Lama. I don't know why, but I know Lama. I know to what I am going to. I know that there's going to be a Mashiach. I know that there's going to be this great power of Mashiach is going to redeem us. He's going to redeem humanity. He's going to redeem the universe. The Chavetz Chaim points out that if you look at that story, very strange story, they're fighting and they're fighting and they're fighting. And then when the morning comes, the Malach says, I got to go. I got to go. Why do you have to go? All of a sudden, when the morning comes, why do you need to go? The Chavetz Chaim says, this is again symbolic, the night is the symbol of Gaulus. Night is the symbol of lack of clarity. When the morning comes, that's the symbol of clarity, of understanding that everything comes from Hashem, and Hashem is everything, and the Jewish people are Hashem's chosen nation. When that morning comes, when the morning of Geula comes, the entire world, everyone, will stop causing pain to the Jewish people and say, oh my gosh, you're in control, let me go. You guys are the, one who, you guys are the ones who are, who are in control. V'chein zera Esav, mitzar lezera Yaakov, the children of Esav, which is representative of the non-Jewish world, mitzar lezera Yaakov, he causes pain to the children of Yaakov, v'lebesayv, but at the end, t'yeh lohem t'shua me'am, the Jewish people will be saved. And what ends up happening to that limp? At the end of the day, if you look at the Psukim, it says, Yaakov is walking around limping, and Hashem sends the sun. And the sun, the sun shines, and it heals that wound. The sun heals the wound, and that's a symbol. That the, and Yaakov was saved from his pain. Cain In the same way, the sun, the clarity, the warmth, the relief, the joy of Mashiach is going to come and shine of all of us. He will heal us from our pain, and he will redeem us. Amen. Alright. Right, the sun, the sun.